All right, I ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. We're picking up this week in Luke chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 1. Luke chapter 5, picking up in verse 1. If you're using that pew Bible in front of you, you can find that on page 1,184. We will stand in a moment and read those together. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 will be our passage today. I have a great joy. I have many great joys being your pastor, being in the ministry, what God has called me to do. One of the great joys I have is counseling many couples that are planning to marry, young couples or not so young couples. And as you can imagine, the topics that we, these couples that are going to be married, need to discuss are plentiful and they vary depending upon the specific couple. One of the questions that I always seek to ask each prospective bride and groom through our counseling time is, what are you afraid of? You're going, Jeff, that's an odd question for premarital counseling. They almost always, when I go, what are you afraid of? They almost ask me as the prospective bride and groom to clarify. So what do you, what do you mean? And I go, you get to define what I mean. I ask you the question, what are you afraid of? And they go, so are you thinking like, I'm afraid of bugs? I say, well, let's go that way. And let's just say the young lady in this, in this uh, conversation, she says, yeah, I'm afraid of bugs. I look to the husband-to-be and I said, you know what that makes you now? He says, the bug killer. <laughs> right? Our job is to remove fear. But then every now and then, almost every single time, actually, somebody will say a question like, well, I'm afraid of failing. Now we've started counseling, right? I mean, you can, you can figure out how to be a bug killer. I'm afraid of heights. Well, you just don't want to dangle your spouse over a balcony or something like that. I mean, you know, we get things like this. But when we get to what are you afraid of in premarital counseling, it gets pretty challenging. And if they say in this example, well, I'm afraid of failing. Well, we then have an opportunity to discuss the origin of this fear, ways to navigate through it, and what the Lord's perspective biblically is for you during that time. You see, fear in this example has no place in a marriage. And all steps must be taken, whether it be pre-counseling or if you find yourself, I've been married a long time and fear is there, but we, every step must be taken to remove fear. You see, fear is not something that God desires for us to have. And that's not just a young, to-be-married conversation point. Fear is not something God desires for us to have, period. And we are told hundreds of times in Scripture, do not fear, do not be afraid. This is a true biblical truth in life as a whole, not just for young marriages. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand and read from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Luke 5, we'll pick up in verse 1. It says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake Gennesaret. 
and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to walk through this. And, and if you're a note taker, there's going to be a, a time here in a few minutes where I'm, I've got scriptures that I'm going to turn to and read. And you might want to just jot those down as notes. And so I'll mention that to you as we go. We completed Luke chapter 4 last week. And Luke chapter 4 completes in verse 44 said that Jesus continued to preach in the synagogues of Galilee. And we've talked for the last couple of weeks that Jesus' teaching was God's word and was sharing the gospel, the reason why he came. And we have read that every time the word was spoken and Jesus shared that people's lives were impacted. Remember, we've talked that they were impacted either through faith and acceptance or they were impacted through rejection as we talked about. And that's going to be what Jesus does. He brings people to a decision point. And one of the things that we need to recognize, as you probably know in Scripture, is as Jesus' ministry continues to move on, the crowds that follow him continue to get bigger. You'll read words like the crowd, and then you'll read like the multitude, and then you'll read like the great multitude. You follow these things along, so just be watching these things, but Jesus is drawing more and more people, all kinds of people, to him. And so it's with that backdrop that we get to verse 1 here. It says that, um, let me get to my right page here. So this multitude was pressed around Jesus by the lake Gennesaret. We find Jesus on the beach, and we find this great multitude around him. And Jesus always took opportunity to teach and to encourage people. And they desired, verse 1 tells us, they desired to hear the word of God. Isn't that exciting? You know, I don't know why you're here this morning. I pray that one of the reasons you're here this morning is you want to hear the Word of God. You want God to speak to you, to reveal Himself to you, to teach you, to challenge you, to change you. That's what was drawing these multitudes here. They went to the beach. A multitude around Jesus. And He wanted to teach them. Church, can I just remind us that if we make much of the Word of God, and we make much of the Son of God, and we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, we will find 
people, perhaps by the multitudes, wanting to know and hear and learn more about Jesus. Is that possible? That as we make those things what we do, that we see people come to know Jesus. I want you to look around. Yeah, we got a good crowd, but there are spots. We could see the number of people in this church. Yes, there's room for more tonight, always. But church, look around. There's room for more today. And the way that we will have space challenges is if we make much of the Word of God, much of the Son of God, listening to the Holy Spirit of God moving forward. So Jesus is on the beach. This multitude is around him, and he saw two boats. Now, these boats, if you get this picture, they were pulled up to the shore. It says that the boats were empty, and we're told that the fishermen had left their boats, pulled up on the shore, and had taken their nets to go and wash them. Now, I don't know much about fishing, especially this kind of fishing, but I did some reading. Do you know that washing your nets is one of the last thing a fisherman would do before calling it quits for the day. That was one of the last things. And so these boats with these fishermen off cleaning their nets, they were getting ready to call it a day and to go home. Fishing time is now over. Verse 3, Jesus sees these two empty boats, knows the fishermen are off cleaning their nets, and he gets in the boat, and we're told that it's Simon Peter's boat, now, Jesus probably knew this because he saw, or it could be because in just a second we see that he tells Simon Peter to do something, that all of a sudden Simon Peter goes, hey, somebody's getting in my boat. Maybe James and John said, hey, Peter, Andrew, somebody's getting in your boat. And so he runs over. Now, I just filled that blank in because Peter wasn't there, and then Peter is here, and then we get to this got into the boat. And Jesus asked him in verse 3 to push out a little from the land. Now, can you get the picture here? Now, just imagine yourself on the beach. It's not quiet. Beaches are peaceful, but they're not quiet. And so Jesus has this multitude who wants to hear from him, and he wants to teach them, and he gets into the boat to grab some room, and he casts out a little bit, Jesus had must, had, must have had some kind of teacher voice. You guys ever known people that have a teacher voice? I know people who have a teacher voice. I've talked to people this week who have a teacher voice. When they speak, it's like two walls and a door can't quiet them down. Right? We know this. Jesus must have had a teacher voice because he's here in a boat, pulled offshore with a crowd at the ocean. No tech guys around. But Jesus, it says, he teaches them. It says that he sat down in the boat and taught the multitude. And now we're not told very much. Did you catch that? End of verse 3. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Verse 4. When he had stopped speaking. We're not told anything in this example from Scripture about what Jesus taught them. We aren't told how long he taught them. We're not told what topics he taught them. We're not, tallin, we're not told anything. And so we have to assume as we come together and read this passage of Scripture 
that what Jesus taught in that moment was not the point that we, the church, are to grab a hold of this morning. There's got to be more to this scripture because we're not told what Jesus said in his teaching. But church, we can probably get a really good idea about what Jesus taught because we've been studying for weeks how Jesus always taught about God, about who he was, about man's need, about how we are to live, and about how he was going to be the Savior of the world, the gospel. So we know that Jesus taught that. But I believe in this scripture that while that is a wonderful point, that is not the point that God has for us today, or it wasn't the point that God hammered home with me this week. So let's look at verse 4. Jesus has done teaching. He's out, in the boat. He's out in the boat with Peter, and he looks at Peter in verse 4, and he says, launch out and cast your nets. Jesus told Simon Peter, a fisherman, he said, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. Let down your nets for a catch. Jesus is telling Simon Peter what to do, launch and cast, and what's going to happen. We're going to catch some fish. And catch this, look at verse 5. Simon Peter now says to Jesus, this is just paraphrase, Jesus, we have fished all night. Jesus, we have caught nothing. And Jesus, we just finished cleaning our nets. In a nutshell, he's saying, Jesus, great idea, but they're just not biting today. Have you ever thought that maybe you knew more than Jesus did? That is a dangerous place to get to, isn't it? And that's not even a note I had. I'm just thinking, wow. Peter goes, okay, Jesus, I know you don't fish a lot. I'm a fisherman. I know. We've already cleaned up. We've already given up. They're just not biting today. But look at verse 5, one of the greatest scriptural words you'll ever see, which might be one of the points for today. Nevertheless. When you see the word nevertheless, here is how I would fill that out with these statements. Nevertheless, even though I am a fisherman, even though my nets are now clean, even though we have fished all night, even though we have caught nothing, even though I do not think that we're even going to catch anything now. Verse 5, at your word. What he basically says is, because you're Jesus, I will do what you ask. Because you're Jesus, I will do what you ask. Verse 5 goes on to say, he let down the nets. Church, something very simple, but very complex just happened right there. Simon Peter simply obeyed what Jesus told him to do. Now, we learn a couple of things from this. One is, you don't always have to agree to obey. We like to agree as a condition of our obedience. We don't like not knowing. That's why we question. That's why we push back. That's why we don't do, because we are seeking to find agreement before we find obedience. 
But Peter is giving us an example here that you don't have to agree because Peter goes, Lord, we're not going to. We, uh, Lord, they're just not biting today. But he says, but because you're Jesus, I'm going to do what you said. Now, I have, I've used this before. I know I've said this before, whether it be in small group, big group, church sermons, things like that. But having raised two boys, I've had my opportunities to be in conversations where agreement was not always met. And I had one of my boys a number of years ago because they're both older and can whoop me now. But I had one of my boys years ago. These are the teen years. We were in one of these I don't agree moments. And this son looked at me and he said, I'm not doing this because I agree with you. I'm doing this because you're my father. And I walk away going, victory! I'm totally fine with that. If you want to obey me because you agree, great. If you want to obey me because I'm your father, great. Just obey what I say in this moment. Obedience, church, is important. Let me just share with you how important obedience is. And if you're a note taker... I'm getting ready to throw a lot of scriptures at you that I'm going to read, and and I'm doing this uh, in order of scripture to make it easy for me to find everything, but I'm going to, to help us understand what God's Word says about obedience, and so this is like a little Bible study within a sermon here that we're going to be able to pull out. But in uh, Deuteronomy, I'll say the scripture, you can write it out, but in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 to 28... Deuteronomy 11, 26 to 28 is this. This is the Lord talking to his people. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way in which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. That scripture says obedience is important because, one, it's a choice. Do you know that your obedience to anything is a choice? And God says that you need to obey. Obedience is not just a choice, but it is a choosing of what or who you are going to follow. You know what God said? He said, it's a blessing if you follow me and do what I say. It's a curse if you don't do what I say because you're choosing to follow other gods. Did you know that when you do not obey, you're choosing to follow another God? A God that you make, maybe even a God that looks like yourself. In Proverbs chapter 3, you can write that down while I turn. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says this. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2 says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. Did you see that? Scripture says that obedience brings life, maybe length of life, and peace. In the New Testament, I'm going to be in John for just a moment or two, but in the New Testament, chapter uh, chapter 14, John. John chapter 14, verse 15. Let's talk about obedience for just a second. These are the words of Jesus. 
If you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience, church, is a proof of a loving relationship with Jesus. If you stay in John chapter 14, write this note down. Verse 21 says, this is Jesus still speaking. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Church, I I need the key on the word manifest myself. He says, if you love me and you do what I say, I will manifest myself means I will reveal my power to you in that situation. The Father and I will bring power into your life. And then you stay in John chapter 14. Let me read verses 23 to 27. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I say to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Obedience is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you obey, it's not that you found agreement with God and you are all of a sudden good enough. All you've done when you obey God is allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, guide you, and direct you to make a decision that is godly. But did you also notice what obedience does? It removes fear. Neither let it be afraid. Obedience removes fear. Two other places. Write this down. 1 John Chapter 2, let me read verses 3 through 6. 1 John, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he. That would be Jesus walked. Obedience leads us to living a life like Jesus. And then one final scripture. 1 John chapter 5. Let me read verses 1 through 5. 1 John 5, 1 through 5 reads like this. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him. Hold it, read that again. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Church, obedience is proof that we love one another. Remember, Jesus said, 
the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second like it is love your neighbor as yourself. Obedience is proof that you love one another. Church, can I tell you that Scripture just says that sometimes we just need to obey Jesus, period. Let's go back to Luke chapter 5, verse 6. And when he had done this, church, after they had launched out, after they had cast their now, now, clean nets into the sea, and after they had obeyed and done everything Jesus asked them to do, verse 6 says that they caught a great number of fish. And let's talk about these fish for just a second. It says that there was such a great catch that their nets were breaking, that they had to holler out to the other boat, which is James and John's boat, we're told, for help, that the fish that they caught filled up both boats, and both boats were struggling to stay afloat because of the weight of the catch that they had. What a catch it must have been. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, it would be what we just explained. When he experienced this personally, when Simon Peter saw this happen, verse 8 says that he fell at the feet of Jesus he said, depart from me, I am a sinner. Two statements, I'll just say to you right there. Church, Peter saw Jesus because he obeyed more fully. Peter, because he obeyed, understood his personal need more clearly. And isn't that what we all need? To understand and trust the Lord more and to understand our need more. It's a great opportunity right here. But also notice this in verse 5, if we were to go back in verse 5, but Simon Peter answered and said to him, Master. And then all of a sudden you go to verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down and he said, O oh Lord. Isn't it funny how when we obey, simply just obey what Jesus says, it changes the position that he carries in our life. He's not just somebody that we have access to. He's Lord. You know what Lord means? It means there's a throne on your life that gets to tell you how to live, and he sits on it, and he gets to tell you how to live your life. That's what Lord means. That's what it's supposed to mean when we accept Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. We're going, you can change me and my eternal destination, but Lord, I also want you to lead me every day, and I want you to be on the throne. Obedience changed Peter's perspective about Jesus. Verse 9 says, everyone was astonished. I bet so. Because if Jesus were still there, and the boats were still there, and the disciples were still there, there's a good chance that the crowd has still there. And everybody gets to see what's going on. This is such an incredible event in the lives of these fishermen and the crowds and us that here we are many centuries later reading about it and being challenged by God because of it. But church, you remember I talked about that there was another point 
if the point wasn't what did Jesus teach, there must be another point. I think everything we just read is a really cool preparation, but I don't think it's the point. I think the point's getting ready to happen. Don't miss this point. Verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Just let that sit there for a second. And if you're not careful, you'll read this and you'll go, okay. Fished all night. Parked, cleaned my nets. Jesus came and taught, loved what Jesus said. Jesus told us to cast out. We did. Great call of fish. James and John and Andrew and I are all just amazed. The crowd's amazed. And then Jesus looks at Peter and says, do not be afraid. And you're going, what would be fearful about that? But then you have to keep reading and understanding just a little bit more. Jesus continues, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. This transition from master to Lord in Peter's life was about to happen. And in this text, there is an implicit understanding of what's really happening here. Jesus is asking Peter to do something not cast out, not drop your nets. He's asking Peter to do something much, much more important. And Peter understands he's being asked personally to respond to Jesus. You see, we know here that Jesus is asking Peter to leave it all and follow me. We're not told that right here but we're told that right down here. And Jesus understands that when he looks Peter in the eye, when the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God are looking your heart in the eye right now, Jesus says, Peter, I know this could be scary. Peter, I want you to come and follow me because we're going to catch men and not fish. Jesus asking Simon Peter to leave it all and follow him. I think that's the point. Church, there is a call of Jesus on Peter's life right now. But can I also just tighten the room up just a little bit? Jesus is placing a call on your life right now. He's not singling Peter out. He's using Peter as an example of him having a purpose and a calling for each of us. Just as Simon Peter understood what Jesus meant when he said, launch out and cast your nets, Peter is understanding what Jesus is asking him to do right now. Leave it all. And just like that, I believe that the Holy Spirit of God is using the Word of God in this room or online or on the phone right now. And I believe that many of you right now clearly know what the Son of God, 
your Savior is calling you to do. What he's calling you to lay down, what he's calling you to give up, where he's calling you to go, what he's calling you to say, what he's asking you to surrender, what he's encouraging you to confess. I believe that Jesus is making his call on your life in this moment absolutely clear. Because that's what the Spirit's job is. And Jesus has a call on your life. And Jesus, in that moment where you're, you're feeling it, because you've been fighting this call of Christ on your life for days or weeks or months or maybe for years, and right now, you're feeling it, that inside battle. Jesus has four words for you right now. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus knows that his calling on our lives has the opportunity to make us fearful because he's asking us to let go of everything and to trust him. And again, Jesus' words are, do not be afraid. Church, I want to ask you a question. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Jesus is the one placing the call. Jesus is the one that can take care of everything. Jesus is the one who's telling you, I know this seems fearful. Don't be afraid. What keeps you from following all or from leaving all and following Jesus? What keeps you from obeying Jesus right now? Verse 11, when they had brought their boats to land. You ever had, a, you ever had the guts to say something to somebody that needed to be said? And then there was that awkward quiet that went on in that relationship for a period of time. I can just imagine that's what's happening. Jesus is in the boat. Peter and Andrew and James and John are in the boat. They're trying to get the fish in. And Peter's working and he's getting stuff done. Scripture tells us he's pretty active. But you know his mind's preoccupied. He's probably going, Lord, I can't do this. Lord, can I do this? Church, all I can tell you is that at the age of 44, the Lord made clear his call on my life. And I am not asking you, or I'm not saying the Lord's even calling you into the ministry. I'm just saying that I know he's calling you, and I know that voice, and I know that fear, and I know, I'm sitting here to tell you, that if you will say yes to the Lord, 14 years later, 
You're going to be thrilled. And thrilled is an understatement. Now, you're great, and I love you, and I love that we get to do things together, but let me tell you what's better. The moment I said, Lord, I quit my job, and I just walked away from it, he filled my boat. And Angela, I can't find the bottom of the boat yet. Because he's been so faithful. I'm just here to tell you, church, that I know how you feel. I don't just know how you feel because you're the pastor and you're reading the Word. No, I've been there. And let me just tell you, if the Lord is calling you to do something in any of those ways, do it. Do it. You will be so glad. But Peter... It's decision time. Verse 11. When they had brought their boats to the land, when the awkward decision deciding time was over, they forsook all and followed him. Peter, James, John, Andrew yielded to the calling of Christ. Church, they were not afraid. They were obedient. What are you going to do today? The Lord is waiting on your response to Him. Amen? What are you going to do? What are you afraid of? I encourage you now, yield to what the Lord asks you to do.